Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. Uh, the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. All right, as we continue in our series, The God I Never Knew, we're going to look at some tough questions related to the Holy Spirit. Uh, this week and next week, we're going to look at questions like, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And how do you know if you've experienced that? What is speaking in tongues? Uh, what place does the gift of tongues play in the church? Is it for today? Is it for everyone? What's the evidence that the Holy Spirit is in someone's life? How do you distinguish the indwelling of the Spirit from the gifts of the Spirit from the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Does God heal today? Should we commission certain people to have a healing ministry in the church? We're going to talk in the next two weeks about what might be called the Holy Spirit and the miraculous. And the great irony to me is that, as we've seen in this series, the church is built on the unity of the Spirit, the oneness of the Spirit. But often, churches get divided on the very issue of the role in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this is one of those areas where well-meaning Christians uh, have disagreed sometimes in unloving or even divisive ways. And so I wanna make you a deal. Today and next week, I will do my best not to avoid any questions and to give the best teaching from scripture that I can as God enables me. And I wanna ask you that as we study and as we learn together, that you would do it with a spirit of humility. And above all, that we do not allow any opinions about the doctrine of the Spirit to do any damage to our unity, which is the Spirit's great gift to us as a church. Deal? I hope that's a deal. All right, we're going to start today in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, uh, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Now, this is the account of the pouring out or the baptism of the Spirit that Jesus had promised. Uh, 
And it resulted in two things. One of them is that people are led into life with Jesus. Uh, Luke tells us that there were about 3,000 that day. And another is that where there had been division once, uh, separation, there's now unity. There's a kind of reversal of the curse going on here. There's a story in the Old Testament where a group of people gathered and in an act of pride and defiance, tried to reach their way to God. And people who had previously been able to speak and understand each other went away, no longer able to communicate. Do you know where that happened? It's the Tower of Babel and the story of Babylon. Well, on the day of Pentecost, God pours out his spirit, and instead of people building a tower to get to God, God sends his spirit down to them. And people who had been divided from different places with different languages through the power of the spirit were able to communicate. They become one. And on that day, God broke through the barriers of race and gender and language and ethnicity. And as we look around our world today, it doesn't take long to realize that these barriers have been built back up. And while government seeks to answer the question, what will overcome these barriers? The answer is only by the spirit, only by the spirit of God. What went wrong at Babylon went right at Pentecost. What went wrong at Babylon, the spirit of pride and arrogance that led to divisiveness and the loss of community, it went right at Pentecost and God poured out his spirit. And where there were divisions and barriers, these people became one. People again were able to communicate and commune with one another. Now, what I want to do in this message is simply work through a series of questions about this event. And the first question is, has the time of extraordinary manifestations of the Holy Spirit passed away? And my short answer to that question is no, that time has not passed away. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. And these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Now, in this passage, Paul mentions some extraordinary spiritual gifts. And let me just say a quick word about them. Uh, messages of wisdom and knowledge have to do with special insights into the meaning and application of God's word. Uh, Paul talks about the gift of faith. And by this, most scholars agree he means not faith that's a part of basic Christian belief, like for all of us, but the ability to believe God for mighty works and wonders. He talks about prophecy. The word prophets in the New Testament does not mean what we a lot of times think it means, which is primarily predicting the future. Generally, primarily it means addressing a present situation as God wants to have it addressed. He talks about distinguishing spirits the ability to, to discern the work of God from the evil one. 
He talks about tongues and their interpretation. And we're going to get to that next week. So what are we to think about these miraculous gifts? There are some churches that say, for example, that anytime someone speaks in tongues, they're deluded at best or demonic at worst. The technical term for this position is cessationism. And the idea is that these gifts ceased in the early church in the first century. Again, well-meaning Christians disagree on this, but I don't believe there is good biblical evidence for that position. I don't think the idea that those gifts ceased in the first century is well supported in scripture. I believe the Holy Spirit is free to work in amazing ways. And I'll give you one example of that. This is about a pastor on the East Coast named Tony Campolo. Uh, He was speaking at a church conference in South Africa. Another one of the speakers uh, who was an evangelist was one of the founders of the movement often referred to as the Toronto Blessing. You may remember that. This was a movement of people who believed in the theology of signs and wonders. They believed that uh, miracles are part of the witness that we as believers should have to an unbelieving world as we try to win people for Christ. Tony said this particular evangelist was very respectful to him, even though miracles were not part of his ministry. At one point, he asked Tony if he was into healing. And Tony explained that when he's with people who are sick, uh, he always prays for them to be healed, but he never sees anything spectacular happen. And the evangelist jokingly reminded Tony that not seeing anything spectacular happen hadn't deterred him from being a preacher. (laughs) The evangelist affirmed that the ministry of Jesus was to preach and to teach and to heal, and that all three of those things should be a part of what we do in our everyday service for the kingdom of God. And the following week, Tony was back in the States and preaching at a church in Oregon, and he decided at the end of the service Uh, to tell the congregation that if anyone wanted to remain behind for healing, he would be glad to pray for them. He said that they shouldn't expect much to happen because nothing much happens when he prays. Uh, But if they wanted to give it a try, he would be willing to pray as hard as he could. Surprisingly, about 30 people stayed behind and waited patiently as he prayed for one after the other. And what intrigued him about it was that most of the people who had come for healing had not anything physically wrong with them. One man needed healing for an addiction to pornography. One woman wanted healing for her marriage. Someone else asked for healing for anger. But there were a few who did have physical illnesses. Four days later, Tony got a phone call and the woman on the other end said, Tony, on Sunday, you prayed for my husband. He had cancer. And when he heard the word had, he got a little excited. Had cancer, he asked. The woman said, well, he's dead now. (laughs) When she said that, Tony thought, a lot of good I do. And then the woman said, you don't understand. When my husband and I walked into the church on Sunday, he was angry with God. He had cancer and he knew he was going to be dead soon. And he hated God for letting it happen. He wanted to see his grandchildren grow up more uh, than anything. And at night he would lie in bed and he would curse God. It was horrible. And the angrier he got toward God, the meaner he was with everyone around him. It was unbearable to be in the same room with him. His nastiness just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then she said, but when you laid hands on him on Sunday morning and you prayed for him, when when he walked out of that church, I knew there was something different. 
I could feel it. He was a different person. The last four days of our lives had been the best four days that we ever had together. We talked and we laughed. We even sang hymns to each other. It was a good, good time. And she paused and then she added something real profound. She said this, Tony, he wasn't cured, but he was healed. And Tony hung up the phone with a new understanding of what the work of the Holy Spirit is. And there are so many stories of people who have had the Holy Spirit do some amazing things in their lives. Maybe when there was a moment of conviction or a moment of insight or a word that came from another person at just the right time or a healing. The Holy Spirit does extraordinary things. That day is not over. I believe the Holy Spirit is alive and well and at work in the lives of men and women on this earth to bring fallen human beings back to God, to be transformed and redeemed. That day is not done. The Spirit is alive and well and at work. Now, at the same time that that's true, we have seen in this series that the Holy Spirit does not do things simply to call attention to himself. This is why Dale Brunner calls him the shy member of the Trinity. He has no need to be spectacular simply to be spectacular. And this is important because fallen human beings tend to be drawn toward what might be called attention-getting aspects of spirituality related to the Holy Spirit. For instance, suppose there were two churches. In one of them, people started giving money away to the poor. You know, they sold their houses, they simplified their lifestyles, they devoted themselves to the poor. And then suppose there was another church where people in the church just started levitating in the church. Bodies just started levitating because God could do that if he wanted to. I'm not saying that he has or that he does. I'm not suggesting that we should try it, but just imagine for a moment that happened. Which church would get the headlines? Which church would people want to go see? Or maybe a better question is, which church would be giving evidence of the greatest work of the Holy Spirit? We need to be thinking about these questions because Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry in Luke 4, 17 and 18, this was a quote from Isaiah, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. And now here's the first sign of the new age of the spirit that Jesus gives. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. The time of the extraordinary work of the Spirit is not over. We can and we should expect that the Spirit is going to manifest himself in remarkable ways. However, it doesn't always happen in identical ways, in every time and in every place. Okay, so that's the first question. Has the time for extraordinary manifestations of the Holy Spirit passed away? No but it doesn't mean that it will always look the same. And it doesn't mean that the spectacular, although we love stories like that, it doesn't mean that the spectacular is the primary way that the spirit validates his presence on this planet. And this leads to the next question, which has to do with the Holy Spirit indwelling people. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is it possible to be a Christian, but not have received the Holy Spirit? Is this an experience that I need to wait and pray for sometime after 
conversion. Now, again, I want to be real clear. Well-meaning Christians have disagreed on this, and I'm going to take my best shot at it. And I want to start by looking at the biblical origins of this phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you need to know that the phrase to be baptized in or with, it could be translated either way, is found seven times in the New Testament, mostly in the Gospels. A very typical example would be Mark 1.8 when John the Baptist says to people, I baptize you with water, but he, that is Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And we studied that before, that the great promise of the Old Testament was the day was going to come when the Spirit would be given not to a select few for certain times or jobs, but would be poured out on all human beings. And John says, Jesus is going to do that. In Acts 1.5, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, we studied this. When did Jesus cause the Holy Spirit to be poured out on human beings? When was the church immersed in the Holy Spirit? It was the passage we read at the beginning. It was, the, it was at Pentecost, Acts 2.4. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. All seven times that this phrase is used in the New Testament, it refers to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. According to the New Testament language, God baptized his church in the Spirit at Pentecost. Pentecost was a one-time experience. Just as Christ's incarnation was a one-time deal and his crucifixion and his resurrection were one-time events. And when you become a Christian, you receive all those benefits of all those events. You receive forgiveness through the crucifixion. You receive eternal life through his resurrection. You receive adoption into his church. You receive power through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a package deal. Again, this is my best understanding of what the writers of scripture teach. Interestingly, never in the New Testament are Christians, people who are following Christ, told to wait for or pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, he talks about the difference between a mind that is dominated by the sinful nature as opposed to a mind that is indwelt, immersed in the Spirit. Paul says to uh, Christians at Rome, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And then this sentence, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, that person does not belong to Christ. A best understanding of what Paul's saying is that it's impossible to belong to Christ without having the Spirit. And of course, that makes sense because Jesus came as a Spirit-anointed, Spirit-baptizer. I believe that the most accurate understanding of the New Testament is that Jesus doesn't offer forgiveness on the one hand and then make the Holy Spirit kind of an optional deal. You can't receive Jesus without receiving the Spirit he came to give. You don't have to wonder if you have the Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, whether or not you feel him. The Spirit is with you. But now I want to go back to Acts and say something else about being filled with the Spirit. The language that Luke, the writer, uh, uses in the book of Acts is interesting. In Acts 4.8, Peter has a very difficult job to do. Uh, he has to testify about Christ to a very hostile 
a group of people, hostile authorities. And Peter has already been through Pentecost. And so Luke says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Peter gives this very courageous testimony. Another example of a similar use of language is in the same chapter, uh, Acts 4, 31. Peter and John have been released from prison and the people have been praying. And Luke says this of the disciples. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the question that people have. If Peter and the disciples were already permanently indwelt by the Spirit at Pentecost, why do the writers of Scripture talk on these specific occasions about their being filled with the Holy Spirit? And Paul does a similar thing in Ephesians 5.18. He's writing to people who are already Christians, and he says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. But he writes that to people who are already Christians. And so here's the question. If all Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, why does Paul command us to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18, who are already filled? Now, there are, a different, uh, there are a few different options. Let me give them to you. So option one, because the Spirit's power comes and goes like PG&E does. <laughs> option two, because Paul wrote this passage early in the morning before Starbucks was open. <laughs> or option three, because the phrase being filled with the Spirit can refer to being fully yielded to and inspired by the Spirit. And that's the one I vote for. Sometimes in scripture, being filled with the Spirit refers to this once and permanent indwelling of the Spirit that took place on Pentecost and that you and I enter into when we become followers of Jesus. But in addition to this, every moment is an opportunity to be fully yielded to and guided by the Holy Spirit. Every moment is an opportunity. Like this moment right now is an opportunity to be fully yielded to and guided by the Holy Spirit. Part of what this means is every moment, it is also possible to say no to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The opposite of being filled with the Spirit and this sense of yielding to the Spirit would be in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 when Paul says to the Christians, don't, quen don't quench the Spirit. What does that mean to not quench the Spirit? Well, think about the image of quenching for a moment. Don't put out the Spirit's fire is sometimes translated. Many years ago, I was building a little fire to roast s'mores with our family, and I was blowing on it to get it to flame up. And my son, who was real young, was watching me, just kind of absorbing what I was doing. And he was at the age where he was just fascinated by fire. Uh, he just loved fire. It's a very common a stage of development that happens in boys. It lasts from when they're five to when they're about 70 or so. And he said, what are you doing? And I explained that a fire is a real delicate thing, especially in its early stages, and it has to breathe. And if you give it air, it'll grow. But if you smother it, if you throw water on it or dirt on it, you'll extinguish it. You'll put it out. And this is the picture that Paul is working with. The Spirit longs to work in your life. And often, like at the Exodus or at Pentecost, the Spirit is pictured as fire but he won't force you to do something. He will prompt you. You will have a thought. This could happen later today or tomorrow. You might have the thought, I could encourage this person. 
I could serve and love my child. I could give my resources to God's work. I could express worship to God. I could come into a place like this and open up my heart sincerely to God. I could turn from sin. I'm tempted to sin right now and I could turn from it. When you have those thoughts, say yes to the prompting like that. That's like what we talked about uh, earlier in the series. It's like spiritual breathing. That's the spirit at work inside you. On the other hand, when you say no to one of those promptings, when you say no to love or joy or peace or patience, you're quenching the fire of the spirit in your life and your heart gets a little colder and your spiritual fire of passion goes out. What if tomorrow, all day long, you were to say, for this day, like for this one day, I will not quench the spirit. I will pay attention to the spirit who is in me all the time, who indwells me. And I will listen for the spirit's promptings. And I'll say yes to every one of them for a whole day. And I will let him burn brightly in my life. So you don't have to wait for some future experience to do that. You can do that right now. You can make tomorrow an adventure in being filled with the Spirit. You can, in your life, today, tomorrow, you choose. Just say the prayer. All right, let me pray for you. God, we're so thankful that your Spirit indwells us, that there's nowhere that we can go to escape from your Spirit. Your Spirit is like very close to us, as close as the air that we breathe. And God, I pray that we would be filled with your spirit, like Paul tells us to, be filled with the spirit, that we would uh, root the sin out of our lives, be filled with your spirit so that we can live the kind of life that you designed for us to live. And God, help us to, to pray that prayer, that today, in this moment, on this occasion, I will listen to the prompting of your spirit. And as you speak to us, God, I pray that we would move forward and respond, that we would do the things that you're uh, calling us to do, that we would say the things that you want us to say. And God, I pray that that would lead us to this experience with you that would help us to know you and understand you and love you more. God, we're calling this series, The God I Never Knew, because the Holy Spirit is kind of this mysterious part of the Godhead that we don't know. And I pray that as we continue throughout this series, that, that we would learn to know you more, that we would understand you better, that we would interact, you through, and interact with you throughout our day, and that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that you would prompt us, and that we would respond. And we would have this interactive, loving, uh, communal relationship with you, the Holy Spirit. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.